Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Tonight, we officially welcome the next generation of players. So if you're ready, are you ready? Let's get it started. The NFL Draft is officially open. Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sycamore. With me is Benjamin Solak joining you on a beautiful Monday morning edition of the podcast. Getting your week started right. Talking about some divisional draft recaps. This is week two of our series here where we're going down every single division in the NFL. Taking a microscope to every single selection from every single team. And seeing what that means for interdivision competition whether it could be something that takes them over the hump to be a division winner, how far they could go in the playoffs, how much better their team got, all that kinds of stuff. And the way we do it is we break it up into superlatives. We've got three different superlatives that we will talk about for every single team. We'll talk about the best draft pick. Doesn't have to be the top draft pick. Sometimes that could be the best value that they got wherever it was on days one, two, and three. We'll talk about the most improved position group over the offseason and then the potential biggest draft regret. So that's how we'll judge these teams. we got four teams to go off of today. We're talking about the AFC West, Kansas City Chiefs, Las Vegas Raiders, Denver Broncos, and the Los Angeles Chargers. Before we get to all of that, though, Ben, my friend, how are you? And how was your weekend, bud? Uh, everything is delicious. Sixers clinched one seed in the East. Nice. And the Sooners clinched the one seed in the Women's College World Series in the span of 48 hours. So I've had a solid weekend yeah, it was, oh, it was big that's a big weekend for you wasn't it Absolutely. like w- weren't we on this very podcast last week and you were like oh the Sixers have had a chance to clinch like three times in the last week and they haven't they been had, able to do they it had two chances to clinch and they didn't clinch in both of them and I found it upsetting uh and then they no, I was about to say they beat their Orlando Magic that's what they did uh last night but they no 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 I'm I'm, I'm messing up my days but anyway they clinched in the third opportunity uh, it was very nice. The entire starters got to rest last night, and it was oh, the first time the Sixers have ever good. got to do that. And Joel Embiid showed up with a Flava Flav clock with his own self on it, <laughs> and it said trust process. And I was very pleased by this. Uh, and hey, I, I thought of this this weekend. Because Russ once Russell Westbrook once again got another triple double, and this is not an NBA podcast, and so we will actually get the football in like sixty seconds. But I just thought randomly because this weird stuff pops into my head. Russell Westbrook, if he ever happens to go up against like Joel Embiid and best him in basketball combat, he should just tweet Russ the process. Come on, it's not no. Come on. Firstly, best him in basketball con, con, in basketball. What did you say? I said besting him in basketball combat. Combat, right? Yeah, that is, that's not even real. That's not how basketball works. You know, one on one, a point guard against the center. What are you talking about? Russell, two, West, Russell Westbrook does it all the time. Number two, there's no Russ. Is, Russ is not in any way in, in a process right now. Russ, Russ the a, process, baby. Russ it. Okay. Russ it is a potato. This is a bad thing. <laughs> okay, let's get this football before we get too off the rails. Let's start with the Kansas City Chiefs. All right, this is a team that obviously over the last two years have been in the last two Super Bowls. They've won back-to-back AFC championships. I thought they had a really strong draft weekend to cap off what was a really strong offseason overall. Second round, because they, did, they started this draft in the second round, they picked Nick Bolton, the linebacker out of Missouri. 
Also in the second round, later in the draft, they had Creed Humphrey, the interior offensive lineman from Oklahoma. Joshua Kando, the defensive end from Florida State, was drafted in the fourth round. Two fifth-round picks, Noah Gray, the tight end from Duke, Cornell Powell, the wide receiver from Clemson. And then in the sixth round, they got Trey Smith, the offensive guard from Tennessee. He could probably be wherever you want him to play on the offensive line. Reason why the Kansas City Chiefs didn't have a first-round pick, though, because they went out and acquired Orlando Brown, the veteran. Well, I guess I could say veteran because he does have experience, but he's not that old. Right tackle slash left tackle from the Baltimore Ravens. Hey, so not right tackle slash left tackle. Once right tackle, now definitely okay. left tackle, uh, sir. Uh, okay, all right. So they make the trade because Orlando Brown didn't want to play right tackle anymore. Pillar franchise left tackle Orlando Brown for yes, the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, when you throw his name in there, we'll, we'll start with the first superlative as best pick. I feel like that has to be in consideration, you know, making that move, using that first round pick and the value that it has to go get Orlando Brown. You're clearly in a winning window right now for the Chiefs. You know, you've got to do all you can to make sure the rest of your team is just as good as it needs to be to where you can let Patrick Mahomes cook. Right. I don't mean to steal Russ's tired saying, but that's kind of where the Kansas City Chiefs are right now. And I felt like it was a brilliant move for them to get aggressive to go get Orlando Brown there because offensive line was clearly what was holding them back the most from winning back to back Super Bowls. The Buccaneers and their pass rush, they just came at them at every single angle and the backup offensive tackles. They they weren't able to handle it. Mitchell Schwartz and uh, Eric Fisher were not in that game. So they lose both of their starting offensive tackles and it's just it's so hard to win that way now if both of those guys were in the game it's probably a different story so it's hard to sit here and say like oh you know like they have to desperately upgrade their offensive line with those two being out but now they're both no longer on the team no matter what there's one it's one to look at a situation and say oh we were kind of unlucky with injuries that's just how things go but Mitchell Schwartz because of the back he's not coming back to the Kansas City Chiefs and Eric Fisher with his injury and and his age they released him as well. So you can't then move on from both those guys. Look at what happened this past year in the Super Bowl and think that that's going to fly. Think that just little band-aids or little ads here and there were going to make it or we're going to get it done. And so they got aggressive. They they did what they needed to do. I thought that their moves not only in free agency but also in the draft were caliber to that and correct of a team that is going after a championship. They can help them in really key areas mm-hmm. and I I believe that it started with that Orlando Brown trade. Yeah, Chiefs got better, which Chiefs have been to back-to-back Super Bowls, Trev. Chiefs got better. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, Didn't have a ton of money this year, but the retooling of the offensive line I thought was really solid. I have my most imp- improved position group as that offensive line. Uh, what is critical about this change, and it's something I wrote about last week, is that this team was was well-built to run inside zone from under from the gun. Uh, and just kind of hit that, hit a little bit of zone read, run some RPO off it, which is pretty white bread in terms of running games. Um, that's how you're going to do it when you have Eric Fisher and you have Mitchell Sports and you have Nick Allegretti and you have Andrew Wiley and, and you've got uh, Daniel Kilgore and Austin Ryder having to take snaps or, or Kilgore having to take snaps for Ryder when Ryder goes out. Like that's this is how you're going to have to build it. That's how it's going to have to look. Uh, this they have the injuries. The offensive line plays poorly. And it would have been very easy to be like, well, let's just get our bodies back. Let's get some depth. Right, let's go. right. But it's clear that they want to change the way that they run the ball because they wipe everybody, right? So it's cut Eric Fisher. It's cut Mitchell Schwartz. It's let Austin Blythe walk in free agency. Big contract on Joe Tooney. No, they uh, have they have Austin Blythe. They added Austin Blythe to free agency. 
Yet a flip. Excuse me. Uh, Ryder. Freaking, they're both Austin, and it makes it difficult. Both play center. <laughs> so let Austin Ryder walk uh, in free agency. Bring in Blythe. I know what I'm talking about. So Tooney, who's a power blocker, he's a great puller. Orlando Brown, who comes from the Oklahoma, Baltimore Ravens. We're going to pull everybody. GT count, or we're going to move dudes off the line of scrimmage. Bring Kyle Long out of free agency. That's a power blocker. Keep, Mike Remmers comes back. He's going to play tackle for you. Remmers can do that. You have uh, you signed Lucas Nyang last year, who I think Nyang's probably is more of his own guy, but still Nyang's a big boy. Draft Creed Humphrey. Oklahoma uh, running game, right? He's polar. He's got all that he did at a college. You're going to uh, last year. They signed Clicio Semele, which I felt kind of like gestured toward this a little bit. Like maybe they were already thinking about the change. You trap Trey Smith against 330 pounds. They very clearly want to be heavier and right. they want to be able to move guys off the ball and they want to be able to pull. They want to be able to run more gap power stuff. And I think that that's going to give them a more complex and impactful RPO and play action passing game because it's one thing to have an entire offensive line zone step. Oh, maybe it's a run, maybe it's a pass, whatever. It's another thing to pull a guy. And if you can get an offensive lineman moving on a pull when you're going to run play action or RPO, that is a stronger gravity in terms of pulling the linebackers down, pulling the safeties into the run fit when you pull a guy as opposed to just having everybody on zone flow. That it means a little bit more, and it's a little bit harder to ignore, and that gives you better windows, play action passing game, and in the RPO game. So there's that. Uh, there's also the sensation that with more three down fronts, the more tight front coming into the league from college, you need to be able to pull, you need to be able to run power. You can't run inside zone against that lug; it's just too difficult. Yeah. So, offensive line is the most improved group, and I agree. I like pretty much everything they did across the board there. Uh, uh, it is tricky when you retool a whole unit. I think there's going to be a little bit of time for it to gel, but I think they're going to be able to unlock that running game nicely second half of the season. So uh, that was my most improved position group. Best pick I, I could be Creed. I, I like the Kondo pick. I like the Cornell Powell pick. I like the Trey Smith pick. I thought mm-hmm. they, they drafted well from across the board. I like the Bolton pick as well at that value. I think Bolton could start for him. Um, so you can pick any one of those. But the most impressive thing to me, like you were talking about, was the wholesale change on the offensive line. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Offensive line is definitely the most improved position. Best pick outside of Orlando Brown, which I noted here. I, I, I would have said that it's Creed Humphrey because, again, they, they made an investment on getting better along the offensive line. You mentioned a lot of names there, and when you throw Creed Humphrey into it, I, I think that this is just, you know, it's it, it's five new names. Actually, it's it's six new names, right? Because they got Mike Remmers too. So it's Remmers, Kyle Long, Austin Blythe. is back off of the COVID nineteen list. So, okay, if you're so going yeah. off last year, it's like another new. Yeah, name. right. Technically yeah. seven, eight if you include Trey Smith. So this is a team that we don't often see. This right? It's back to back Super Bowl squads, and there's turnover in the NFL all the time via free agency or the draft or, or retirement, whatever it is, contract situations. You don't often see this much of a revamping of an offensive line like we're seeing with Kansas City, because often the reason why you make it deep into playoff runs, let alone back-to-back Super Bowls, is you have consistency along the offensive line, or at least you have a core that you love to work with, and you're trying to make little upgrades here and there. They made sweeping upgrades, and I think I'm with you. that I, I would consider it an overall plus for Kansas City, and even though offensive line is a position as a whole that really takes some time to 
get the chemistry down and make sure you're working as a unit, especially the more complex things that you throw in there with pullers and and guys making up for different gaps and, and the timing of things with running backs, whatever it is, that takes some time to develop. But I think the Chiefs know that they're okay there. They have Patrick Mahomes. He's going to be able to make up for that and get them the wins that they need throughout the first half of the season, knowing that the offensive line could be where they want to be in the, in the uh, like last fourth of the season or even going into playoffs like we know the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be in. So I really enjoyed that. I liked the Creed Humphrey pick as, as the next one that I think was my favorite. Did you see Kansas City's tweet to him after they drafted him and then his tweet referencing a certain musical band? Did I was you see about this? to say, no, but I'm so sick and tired of Creed Creed Humphrey jokes that I can just infer that's what it was. The Kansas City Chiefs uh, on after draft weekend said, hashtag Chiefs Kingdom is going to welcome you with arms wide open to Creed, obviously talking yeah. as a reference Classic. to a lyric from Creed the band. And then Creed himself, who I don't think really has addressed this, at least I haven't seen him do it on social media. He quote tweeted that and said, these name puns have become my own prison. Sharing the same name as a world-famous rock band has become my sacrifice. And then he said, all right, I'll log off. So that was, I don't know, I, I really enjoyed that because I feel like everybody's been making Creed band jokes with Creed Humphrey for the longest time. And then he also got in on it. So he shows a little bit of sense of humor there. What's a potential draft regret here for the Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah, I said that the Chiefs got better, and I believe the Chiefs got better, but it is interesting how the team remains convinced that they need to prove they can win the Super Bowl every year with just, like, not a good defensive roster, and this is, like, an important <laughs> thing for them. Right. Uh, the Chiefs have a good defensive tackle in Chris Jones. He's awesome. And they have really good safeties in Tyron Matthew and Juan Thornhill, and they're great. And then besides that, they're just like, hey, what if we – strap all this together with kind of the best that like you know middle round picks and some some cast off x first round picks from other teams and then eventually something will be good and when push comes to shove we're just gonna blitz seven players and that'll solve the problem it's like well you know this is like it's working like it's okay it could be way better on uh, so linebacker they made back-to-back -back second round picks willie gay and nick bolton i think that they're trying to get better there and i know gay's rookie season was disappointing so hopefully he, he can settle in corner they continue to be a little bit cheap at corner uh, but they got the legerious sneed pick last year and i thought he played really really well they made the mike hughes trade after the draft so i think if they wanted to get better at corner and they weren't able to the spot to me that's just worrisome is edge uh they've spent capital trying to get it right they have they they after the d4 trade they went and they got frank clark and they gave him an extension uh spent a second round pick on breland speaks spent a third round pick on tano passanio none of this has worked uh clark is woefully underpaying that contract uh speaks and passanio are both out of the building uh they brought in taco charlton they brought in tim ward uh Joshua Kindo in the fourth round was all, all all the real investment that they've made that's like substantial on edge. Uh, so this team was not a good four down pass rushing team last year. They had to blitz to generate pressure and they did that well. And that's what Steve Spagnuolo is. So I kind of get it in the sense of like, all right, we're going to play Mike Dana and Frank Clark and Taco Charlton. And we're going to have a lot of length and a lot of size against the run. And that's all we want out of our edges, which like is fine until you face a quarterback that you don't want to have to blitz the pressure because then you're going to give up 30. And so I don't know, like, I, I think that the, 
biggest regret is probably still that they haven't gotten edge right in years and how much easier it would be to have just a dude who can play next to chris jones on the outside who can actually win a one-on-one like that just would be such a force multiplier for the, the blitz packages for chris jones for everything if you just got that dude and i don't think they're not trying I just, they haven't done it. And then this year they're like, all right, kind of in the fourth round, freaking shut up. We're going, we're fixing the offensive <laughs> line. And we're going home. And it's like, I kind of get the frustration, but you have like the Frank Clark was pick was, or not pick the Frank Clark acquisition and extension was such a bad mess. It's really still hurting the team. I like Nick Bolton. Like I, I really do. And, and him fitting in with Kansas city, you talked about how they blitz a lot and how they want to bring pressure. And, and, and Nick Bolton's that kind of linebacker. I mean, he's going to be a downhill inside linebacker kind of guy who can, you can shoot him up to be in the a gaps. He's got, a, he's got a great knack for it. I mean, they, they clearly built a lot of their blitz packages around Nick Bolton and allowing him to do that and get his speed into the backfield at Missouri. I get why they drafted Nick Bolton, but I'm, I agree with you. I think the biggest draft regret is they didn't really have to draft Nick Bolton. You know, like right now, he's going to be uh, sitting behind Anthony Hitchens. They they have Willie Gay as well, who they ha- hope gives them more of their coverage, sideline to sideline kind of speed. Uh, you know, maybe in, in a couple of years, it's Nick Bolton and Willie Gay running next to each other, and, and that's just a ton of speed that you have both going downhill and to the sideline, and, and maybe Nick Bolton gets a little bit better in coverage, even though he's got the smaller measurables to him. Maybe he gets a really great feel for it, and, and it turns out to be worthwhile for them. But that's I, I also looked to Edge, and I said... I don't know if you really needed Nick Bolton at 58 in the second round in this draft. Maybe you did. Maybe you want to change your defense up a little bit, and Nick Bolton helps you. But I feel like he's right. more of a, a guy who gives them what their defense already currently is. I tell you, if they had taken edge at 58, I would have been right here saying, biggest regret, probably linebacker. Oh, that's true. You know what? That position. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. But I do it's look bad at— bad defense, so you can do it any way you want. And I, 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 that's that's very fair, and, and I, that's that's really good perspective to have. But I do look at guys like Joseph Osai and Ronnie Perkins and even Carlos Basham, who were still on the board when the Chiefs picked Nick Bolton. And I, I think that our conviction to say that they didn't add edge when those names were on the board would have been stronger even— in a different reality than saying if they would have taken an edge and Nick Bolton still would have been there. I think we could have gone, oh, okay, like they could have added Nick Bolton, like they could have added Jabril Cox, something like that. But I do think that we believe edge is more important than uh, than linebacker is. And I'm just surprised that they didn't go with edge. That's all. I, I think it might be a little bit of regret, even though I do like Nick Bolton as a prospect. And if the Chiefs are going to keep their defense similar to what it's been over the last couple of years... I I like it. He's going to be their downhill guy. He's going to be a player to really bring pressure for him. So I suppose in that sense that I don't really mind it too much. Okay, let's let's move on to the next team. Let's talk about the Denver Broncos. Denver Broncos, I believe, had a fantastic offseason. Did great in free agency. Did great in the draft. Number nine overall was their first selection. They took Patrick Sertan, the cornerback from Alabama. Second round, they went with Javante Williams, the running back from North Carolina. Two third-round picks. Quinn Miners, the center from Wisconsin Whitewater, and then Baron Browning, the linebacker from Ohio State. We had two fifth-round picks as well. Caden Stearns, Jamar Johnson, both safeties, one from Texas, one from Indiana. A sixth-round pick in Seth Williams, the wide receiver from Auburn. And then three seventh-round selections. You had Kerry Vincent Jr., the corner from LSU, Jonathan Cooper, the defensive end from Ohio State, and then Marquis Spencer, the defensive end from Mississippi State. Ben, when you look at the Denver Broncos draft class, what is your favorite selection that they made? 
I may be cheating a little bit here because we now know at this time that Deshaun Hamilton is out for the season. Obviously, they didn't know that at that time, uh, which really sucks for Hamilton and for Jawan James and with that situation with getting the injuries off campus. And it's a total nightmare, and it's very difficult. I feel very badly for these guys. So, Seth Williams, sixth-round pick out of Auburn. Uh, liked Seth coming into the year. That stretch where he was dominating there was fun early in the SEC slate, but also there was like, you know, there was always going to kind of be that moment of like, well, what is he really in the league? And the answer is, right, like there, this is a contested catch guy and he hasn't really done much else yet and he runs hot and cold and so it's tough to draft that guy super early. But uh, in Denver, he's a really likable pick because they have a very deep wide receiver room. So you're like, oh, why? Why is it good? Corlin Sutton coming back from major injury. Uh, and so, God forbid something happens to Sutton. But you do want to protect yourself with depth. And last year, you had a really, really nice season from Tim Patrick, who did a great job taking over the X receiver role, played it very well, overperformed probably. Um, more than you expected to get from Tim Patrick. And even I, I like Tim Patrick, but that was just like, whoa, that was really, really good. So, Seth Williams gives you a little bit of insurance on that. While also falling in, while falling into the Sutton Patrick mold of this X receiver that Denver has established that they want, which is just catch point guy, right? Like we're gonna put a dude on the field who, if you're gonna go one on one and you're gonna play single high, we're gonna just throw him the ball vertical and we're gonna let him make plays. And that's what Williams can do, right? It's very similar to Auden Tate. He's an undrafted free agent. He lands in 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 Cincinnati, and it's like, well, he can fill this role for them. And guess what? He's done. Stick on the roster multiple seasons, just filling that role. So I think Seth Williams can fill that role. But I do think it was very important to get that player for Denver, even though like other guys are going to have a bigger year one impact. And I think Quinn Miners is a really good pick by them. And like I talk about all those guys. I just the more I think about Seth Williams, more I'm like, that's a good, that's a good way to draft is to just say, all right, we love Cortland Sutton and we love Tim Patrick. But let's be honest, one's coming off major injury and one probably played way better than we thought he was going to play. Mm-hmm. Let's he- let's defray some risk here. Let's hedge a bet uh, and let's bring in six, Seth Williams, six round pick. And we're going to be able to roster him if he does what he should do in camp. Uh, he's got to find a way to contribute on special teams. But if he does that, then I think that he's got a chance to stick there for the entire rookie contract and be that depth receiver for them because he's an important insurance plan. I really like the Baron Browning selection. And I, I like Baron Browning a lot as a prospect. I don't think that he is a finished product. There's a reason why I think that he fell to the third round. But I do think that him getting picked at the back end of the third round was late for him. I I thought he was going to be more of a fringe second round, third round kind of a pick. He brings a lot of athleticism and some good measurables to that linebacker spot and a lot of versatility as well. I I believe that Denver listed him as an edge. I mean, I could be wrong there, but I've at least heard talks of him playing as an edge rusher or just as an edge defender for Vic Fangio's defense there. And when you look at the two edge players that the Broncos primarily have. It's Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. Now, Baron Browning, he's a former safety in recruiting, coming over to linebacker, learns linebacker, has great measurables. Okay, maybe he's an edge player, but he, he doesn't have a lot of experience being an edge player. And so, like, that's going to be totally new for him if that's what they want. But they also, at their interior linebacker spots, they've got Alexander Johnson, AJ, and they also have Josie Jewell. Those guys are fine, and I think that they have held up the middle of the field well, but... Baron Browning gives you a lot more speed in that area. You know, like, I feel like Baron Browning gives you higher upside to 
playing coverage, to get sideline to sideline, to even shoot gaps and go downhill. Like I, I feel like Browning just has the higher ceiling of both of those guys. So I really like this selection, not just because I like Baron Browning, but also because I feel like he's going to a pretty good spot versatility-wise and under the tutelage of Vic Fangio because you're going to be able to get a lot of what he could bring to the table. There's a lot of unpolished or untapped ability, I think, from Baron Browning just because he has bounced around a lot, mm-hmm. right? Started at safety, then he kind of went to an outside linebacker spot, played a little inside linebacker, played some edge stuff, and now we're hearing, okay, well, some teams in the NFL thought he was an edge just because of his measurables because uh, he's a tall, longer kind of a linebacker. He brings a lot to the table, but as we've said before with, with a lot of different prospects, versatility is not automatically a good thing. You have to have the right defensive mind, position coach, whatever it is, to really get the most out of versatility. Because if not, the NFL, the competition level at the NFL, it's too good. You cannot be a master of none in the NFL. If you cannot find a way to really get on the field and make an impact at a singular position, then you do not bring value to the team. You are instead then a, sure, maybe a utility guy that, that might come on in special situations, but... When you're drafting a guy within the top 100, like Baron Browning was, barely, but still in the top 100, you want him to find a home and you want him to have a either rotational or eventual starting impact. I think that Baron Browning can do that. I'm not sure exactly where it is. I would still tell you that it's an inside linebacker, but I feel like he's in a great home to figure that out. So that's why I really like this selection here. I think they capitalized on a guy that fell further in the draft board than he should have. And I really like what Baron Browning brings to the table here for this Broncos defense. Yeah. Fangio had a quote after they drafted him where he was like, yeah, I think we're going to start him inside first. And then if it's not working, we'll we'll put him outside and we might cross train him. But I think the plan right now, and he was like not committal, but he's like, I think the plan right now is start him inside, which is good news. Yeah, I love that. It's what they need, right? If they had been like, if they drafted him and they'd be like, we like him as an edge. I'm like, freaking your linebacker. Then he's still guys. So I like the fact that they are going to start him there. I think it's going to be a bit getting him up to speed, um, which you have AJ Johnson and, and Josie Jewell for at least another year on both. Um, but I, I, I wasn't just as big on, on Baron Browning as, as everybody else was. And so to me, it's, it's, it's a pick that I think you recoup investment on two years from now, rather than one year from now, which is fine. Um, my most improved position group is corner, uh, which tracks given the additions of Kyle Fuller and Ronald Darby and Patrick Sertan. That yeah, is crazy good. that they uh, added yeah. all three of those guys. Right, and so now like Bryce Callahan is a backup. Like I don't even know Bryce Callahan's the man. Right, uh, right, right. And they, and they have Duke Dawson as well, who is like a good nickel corner. And they added right. Kerry Vincent Jr., who you hope can develop into a good nickel corner. Exactly. Uh, it's saying Bassey, who had to start for them in the nickel last year, and then I tweeted, "Wow, the Broncos have to start is saying Bassey," and then it's saying Bassey DM'd me and said, "Hey," and I was like, "Yeah, that's fair." Uh, <laughs> he might he, i don't even know where he is on the depth chart this year uh so i won't tweet about it but i'm worried about it saying bassy uh they're really really deep in corner right like michael jamudier was a third round pick last year who had to start outside for them for the majority of the season is back up now for sure uh so they totally revamped corner and they made that early investment with patrick Sertan, made him a top 10 pick lovely brings versatility da, 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 whatever great fit great player i think it makes a ton of sense i also do wish i had just a sign over my shoulder, which this isn't a video podcast, but I could just tap a sign that says Justin Fields on it. All right, just say you passed on Justin Fields because I like the Sertan pick. Sertan's a good player. I think it's an appropriate pick. But especially once we start talking about biggest draft regret, 
Tap the sign. They're Justin Fields. Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater. What are we talking about right now? No, I I, I agree. I, I think the secondary is, when you look at the full scope of the offseason, by far the area that they really locked up. And, and they, they made that a point of emphasis going into the year, and you could tell because of how much they allocated resources into it. I mentioned a few of them, but Patrick Sertan, Kyle Fuller, Ronald Darby, those were all probably starters on this team that were not on the team last year. And really good starters at that. You're bringing back Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson to play safety. Behind them, you just drafted Jamar Johnson and Caden Stearns. Okay, great. Cornerback Love depth, you, you've you got Bryce Callahan, Kerry Vincent Jr., Duke Dawson, Isang Bassey, also uh, Michael Jamudia, right? I mean, like, Parnell Motley, if you want to throw his name in there. Their, cor- their secondary group in general is extremely deep now. And they have mm-hmm. a lot of guys that you can point to and like their talent level, whether they're starters or whether they're depth players. Go. I think that the most improved area is without a doubt secondary. Biggest draft regret? Yeah, no doubt about it. Number nine, passing on Justin Fields, especially when you're in a situation where you don't have a proven quarterback. Drew Locke, I don't think he's played terrible, but he certainly hasn't made it seem like he. you, you shouldn't question his position on the team. He is going into a make-or-break year, without a doubt. But I, I think that passing on Justin Fields could end up being a draft regret, but at the same time, I'm going to tell you that it's not. And I'm going to tell you that it's not at all because Ian Rappaport tweeted after the draft that it is not a coincidence that the Denver Broncos did not take Justin Fields at nine when Aaron Rodgers became available the day of the draft. Right, but... You want to know the easiest way to trade for Aaron Rodgers? Have Justin Fields on a rookie contract on your team. That would certainly help, but what if they also then just traded right. players they don't have to and still keep Patrick Sertan? No, I think I, 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 I understand why it can be a draft regret, and certainly even as a trade piece, the Justin Fields logic makes sense. But I can't totally hate it because I genuinely think, Ben, that Denver is a premium spot for Rodgers if he's going to get moved. And I also really think Rodgers is not going to play for the Packers again. I might be emotional in my decisions there, but this is a two-year thing. And after two straight years, this has not gotten any better. Rodgers ain't getting any younger. He's not getting any more naive to whatever the situation is. He's He is now entrenched in his emotions and is what he thought. And I don't really think that Aaron Rodgers is a dude who changes his mind very often. So why would I think that this situation with higher stakes with more involved, especially from the pride and stubbornness standpoint, is going to be any different. Maybe he truly believes that the best chance that he has to add another ring is to stay with the Green Bay Packers. And we're not talking about the Packers, and we will at some point. But, like, my whole thing is, I really think that Rodgers wants to move. Like, I genuinely think he will bully the Packers into thinking and at least fielding trades for him. And if there is a chance, Ben, because... If any team knows this, it is the Denver Broncos and what happened with Peyton Manning. If there is any chance that you can get a quarterback like that on your team, it means Super Bowls. Or at least it means competing for Super Bowls. And that's why it's... Not drafting fields at nine, it is the regret. It's what we have to point to. That is the answer, and it will be the answer for the Denver Broncos every time we have this conversation. But I don't hate it nearly as much as I do. Oh, you should have drafted Justin Fields over 
over uh, just rolling with Drew Locke. I, I get that, but they also might have drafted Patrick Sertan at number <laughs> at uh, at number nine and thought, okay, Green Bay needs a corner really bad. Let's give them one that they couldn't ever get at the back end of the first round, and maybe that's a trade piece. I don't know. All I see is. I understand why it's a draft regret, but because Rodgers is legitimately on the table for them, it can't be far and away, how could you pass on Justin Fields kind of a regret to me. I I just, I do not think Rodgers getting traded is that significant of a chance that I would be passing up on Justin Fields. And, oh, I learned two days ago that Rodgers might be slightly more pissed with the Packers than I thought he was. Can't draft Justin Fields now. No, no, I couldn't. I, I wouldn't be able to do it. I, I even if I thought it, was, it could happen, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't have that much faith in it. No, I need I, to take Justin Fields. I think that. Uh, I I think that having Justin Fields as a trade piece would be interesting, but having Patrick Tan might also be a good trade piece. Whatever it is, I I think that they're really in on Rodgers, and so I I don't know how this is going to happen until we figure it out and. I hope somebody writes a book about the behind the scenes of this Aaron Rodgers saga one day. Uh, draft fans, listen up. Nugenics is the number one selling pre-testosterone booster at GNC and is offering a complimentary bottle to all football fans in America. To get your complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total T, draft text draft, I almost said draft text, text the word draft, D-R-A-F-T, to 231231. This unique man-boosting formula is powered by Testofen, which helps you boost free testosterone and total testosterone levels to increase energy and lean muscle mass. Plus, text now, and they will include a bottle of Nugenics Thermo, the most powerful fat incinerator ever, with key ingredients to help you get back in shape. Absolutely free. Text draft to 231231. That's draft to 231231. Message and data rates may apply. Also, while we're here, we can see, we we can talk about stonks. We can talk about memes. We can talk about rocket ships. Day trading can be a lot of fun if you've heard these words before and you've got in on what the conversation is. But if you want to grow your long term wealth and truly make it to the moon, you should open up a Wealthfront investment account today. Wealthfront can create a portfolio of globally diversified low-cost index funds personalized just for you in minutes. Wealthfront is trusted with over $20 billion of assets, and you can get your first 5000 managed for free by going to Wealthfront.com slash LockedOnNFL. Get your first $5,000 managed for free for life by going to Wealthfront.com backslash NFL. That's Wealthfront, W-E-A-L-T-H-F-R-O-N-T, dot com slash locked on NFL to start growing your savings today. Let's talk about the Raiders, shall we? It's always oh, an interesting. Uh, yes, uh, they are in the AFC West, I believe, uh, as of this moment. So we do have to talk about the Las Vegas Raiders. First round selection. Number 17 overall, they went with Alex Leatherwood, the offensive tackle from Alabama. In the second round, they went Trayvon Merrig, the safety from TCU. Third round, they had two selections. Uh, Malcolm Kuntz, the edge rusher from Buffalo, and then Divine Diablo, the safety from Virginia Tech. Fourth round, they got Tyree Gillespie, the safety from Missouri. A lot of safeties here. wonder if we'll talk about that. Fifth round, Nate Hobbs, the corner from Illinois. And then seventh round, Jimmy Morrissey, the center from Pittsburgh. Ben, where are we starting here with the best pick for the Las Vegas Raiders? Matt Bushman, an undrafted free agency. All right, yeah, great. Uh, No, I, I do think Gillespie in the fourth round, but like... It's good value, but can I evaluate the pick? 
agnostic of the fact that they took two safeties earlier like no <laughs> right you know what i mean you can't just like ignore that uh so merrick i guess then would be my favorite pick and that, that is I, good value for merrick i, I thought merrick should be a first rounder i, I agree. He would be a first rounder uh ends up in round two we talked about him a ton uh gonna be able to start for them deep middle gonna be able to play combo for them as well if they end up having another player like a gillespie who who emerges as a guy they can get away with single high gonna be able to take some snaps off jonathan abram's shoulders which obviously abram's health has been an issue so maybe getting him into more of a rotation will will help him stay healthy and stay impactful for 17 games but he still has to learn how to hit safely uh yeah uh merrick was a good pick i would have taken less safeties <laughs> right right I, so funny enough i have for mo- my most improved position group safety Safety? right (laughs) like they just which we should know they are like saying divine diablo is a linebacker but he's on the blurred line so like they took 2.5 safeties yeah i mean it's just i i I don't know man i i don't know why the raiders we've we've had this as our initial reaction I, i don't know why the raiders took three safeties one of them's a hybrid linebacker okay they really needed to upgrade at free safety, but y- you did. You did it. You upgraded safety. You picked Trayvon Merrick in the second round. Why are you? Right. Why? Like, what? And also, like, you need to upgrade at safety in the sense that, like, you know, I don't know, like, it, it's like if, if your house was on fire and you're like, well, we've got mold in the attic. Boy, your house is on fire. Like, you don't have a good defense anywhere. <laughs> It's just safety. Like, I don't know. I don't know what I thought of that example, but you know, I, I'm I'm letting I you roll. I was trying to th- I was trying to think of a good one. I can't think of a good one. The, it, it in terms of things to address for the Raiders, safety was definitely on the list. But like sacking the quarterback is also and like all right, we added Yannick Ngakwe. Cool. It's not enough. Go get another edge. Go get more. Go. They, get, they, hey, bro. Love- they, dude, they they brought in Malcolm Coots. I always, I, I literally always forget they drafted Malcolm Coons because in my head it's just impossible that a team would take Malcolm Coons in the third round. Third round, uh, maybe. Okay, defensive tackle. We let Mo Hurst walk. We brought in Quentin Jefferson. Okay, so that's total maybe neutral. You still need to improve the pass rush. Made multiple signings at linebacker last year. Linebacker wasn't good. And corner where you've spent early round draft picks for the last three two, two years still isn't good. Defensive tackle, edge, and corner on just the defensive laundry list alone should be addressed before safety, in my opinion. Especially because, like, as evidenced by the Divine Diablo and Tyree Gillespie picks, you can just get a good-ish safety late. You can just spend day two, day three picks at this and kind of have passable play until you really want to go and get that impact player. Which, again, I love the Merrick pick. I think in vacuum, it's a good pick. But that those new shiny safeties aren't going to look so great when corners are still getting burned on the outside. So right. I hope that uh, I like Damon Arnett a lot. I think that Arnett can play well. All right, we're going to play Casey Hayward on the other side. Cool. Rasul Douglas play some cover three. Maybe Trevon Molin. I'm not sold. Like, I don't know. So it's just, I, I think that for as much as like safety got better, it's also like, well, congrats. Right. I don't know if the team is going to, benefit as much from that as you're hoping but okay the the thing is that i i've and i've said this before i think on this podcast i've just come to the conclusion that i'm not going to see the draft the same way that the raiders do you know like i i'd have been taking tevin jenkins at 17 
I, I don't I don't exactly know what was up with Tevin Jenkins behind the scenes, whether it was, you know, the, the injury that, that people are really worried about here. Or, I mean, people talked about, oh, like, does he love football? I, what? I, watch his tape. I don't really understand. So I, I, don't, I don't know why they go with Alex Leatherwood at 17. And that's not even that big of a knock on Alex Leatherwood. I think Alex Leatherwood can be fine. But, like, did you need to take Leatherwood at 17 with the other offensive linemen that were there? No. Like, certainly, certainly I do not think that that was the case. So, I don't really see the Leatherwood value at 17, so I think that that could potentially be a draft regret for them. And, uh, you know, obviously, that we're, we're talking about draft regrets now. If you wanted a linebacker where you picked Divine Diablo, why didn't you just pick... Jabril Cox, why didn't you pick Baron Browning? If you wanted an edge rusher, why didn't you pick Derek Barnes? Like, all of these guys were still on the board when you selected Divine Diablo. So you're already picking, like, this hybrid player who's making a switch to a different position anyways, and you're like, oh, we're going to draft this safety because we need a linebacker. Why don't you just pick a linebacker? Right, that's my thing. Is Why like don't you just my, pick Jabril Cox? Right, like, my biggest regret, which I, I don't like the fact that it's my biggest regret because it's an abstraction, but, like, my biggest regret is why didn't you trade back? at like almost all times and or why wow. didn't you wow ben solak analytics guy yeah uh, lifelong baby let's go no but like trade back at all times and or just kind of like don't pick like pick i don't want to say pick better players that's the worst thing in the world to say yeah but, but they, it's like yeah but they could pick better players they could and it's like if you're gonna be this far off consensus board as well then like trade back like play the game like be smart with how you use your picks you know what i mean like the, i, I like, think they think they are smart though that's the difference you and i have, you and i and a lot of other people just we see the draft differently than mike mayock and john gruden and we've heard that it's kind of john gruden who's who's running the show when it comes to the picks on, on draft weekend but we can we can sit here and look at the Raiders draft, and I'm totally with you. Why are you taking Leatherwood at 17? I don't think you need to take Leatherwood at 17. Heck, maybe the Indianapolis Colts would have taken him at 21. I don't know. Maybe that could have been a thing. But I feel like if you trade back, you're still getting a great offensive lineman, and you're trading back for it. You want Trayvon Merrick at 43? Okay, go get him. 43, I think it's great value for him. But then, yeah, you're you're reaching on Malcolm Cooch because you think you need pass rusher. Why aren't you just taking De- Like, how different does this draft look if this draft was was... Tevin Jenkins, Trayvon Merrick, Derek Barnes, Jabril Cox, and then you could you could even kick keep Tyree Gillespie in there, at, in the fourth right. round, and that's their their first five picks is Jenkins, Merrick, Derek Barnes, Jabril Cox, Tyree Gillespie. I'm all of a sudden like hell yeah, great great draft Raiders makes sense. I just don't see these players the same way they do. That's all. I feel bad for Raiders fans. It's gotta be frustrating. Nah, they're all right. They live in Vegas. It's fine. Well, some of them do. Well, I was going to say, most of them don't live in Vegas. <laughs> some, of, some of them live in Oakland, which, all right, now I actually feel bad for them because the team's not there anymore. Uh, quick note from Bet Online before we get to the Los Angeles Chargers, the last team. Bet Online is the fast and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing. You can track all that over at betonline.ag, the NHL. Just drop the puck on the playoffs, which is the best postseason in sports. That's right. I said it. Tampa won last night, right? They did indeed, my friend. Off of your timeline, I inferred this information. Indeed, they did. You don't even need to watch the game. Just watch my timeline. Follow me at Tampa Bay Trey. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the get in on the action. This is your chance to really put some money on the line. 
get rich quick by betting on the NHL playoffs. Actually, please don't do that. Don't 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 treat this as a get rich quick scheme. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to say today to sign up and receive a fifty percent welcome bonus if it is your first deposit when you use the promo code locked on all caps one word locked on there's going to be some juicy bets with both the early regular season of baseball and the postseason for the nba and the nhl getting underway bet online your online sports book experts final team we're talking about the los angeles Chargers coming up after the break all right last team that we're looking at today in the afc west for our divisional draft recap it's the los angeles chargers first round Chargers went with Rayshon Slater, the offensive tackle from Northwestern. Second round, Asante Samuel Jr., the corner from Florida State. Third round, they had two selections. Josh Palmer, the wide receiver from Tennessee. Trey McKitty, the tight end from Georgia. Fourth round, they went Chris Rump, the defensive end. Well, just I'll list him as the edge rusher because we don't know exactly where he's going to be. With the Duke Blue Devils. Fifth round, Brendan Jameis, the offensive tackle from Nebraska. Sixth round, they had two selections. Rick Neiman, or Nick Neiman, I almost I almost robbed this man of his alliteration name. And that that is not right. I apologize. It is Nick Neiman, the linebacker from Iowa. Larry Roundtree, the running back from Missouri. And in the seventh round, they took safety Mark Webb from Georgia. Ben, what is your top selection here for the Los Angeles Chargers? Sante Samuel, which anybody who knows what I am about will know that, right? Big Sante Samuel guy, big brand Staley defense guy. Big fan of this fit. I uh, was really like, pumped about it on draft day. Really pumped about it now still. Uh, I thought that the the uh, Chargers still had Casey Hayward. I forgot that he went from L.A. to Las Vegas and is now with the Raiders. And so on draft weekend, I was like, Sante Samuel, he's in for, for Casey Hayward. This is sick. And then people were like, Casey Hayward's not even there. And I was like, this is even better than sick because now there's no chance Samuel's not starting uh, with – Mike Davis, Tavon Campbell, Chris Harris as, as the incumbent corners there. I'm Brandon Fashion as well, uh, especially if you're trying to keep Harris in the nickel, which I think they are. Uh, and then Samuel's going to have a starting outside spot, and I think he's pro-ready. I think that his football IQ, yeah, buzzwords, yeah, boy. Uh, no, I, I think the instincts, the vision, the ability to create plays on the ball is going to matter. Uh, he might be a little bit more feast or famine than you want out of a starting corner in year one, but hey. That's that's kind of his play style, and that, that's going to be the reality with him. And if he, if he can take well to coaching with Staley, who was successful with some of these undersized quicker corners, and they got away with being able to play the nine ball really well uh, uh, with the Rams and Staley was the D.C. there, that would be huge for, for, for Samuel Stock because that's the concern right now is playing the nine ball, playing the deep the deep patterns through physicality. Uh, and so that's, that's where the biggest improvement is needed. But if he can hang there, then he's a high-impact year one player on defense taking in the second round. So that right there is just boop, best value, best pick. Absolutely love it. I, I was going to pick whoever you didn't between Ray Sean Slater and Asante Samuel Jr. Because I, well, I, I you should have known that there's, there's no, uh, it's gotta be Asante baby. Well, I wrote down Ray Sean Slater in preparation yeah, because I figured that go. you were going to take Asante Samuel Jr. Uh, this goes into my most improved position for, uh, the Los Angeles Chargers, which talks about their offensive line. We went into the offseason thinking that this is one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL, that if they did not protect Justin Herbert better, they were going to absolutely kill the man before his brilliant career could really launch after a really great rookie season. They go out and, you know, they're getting Brian Bulaga back, who I think is a, is a really solid Iowa, veteran Iowa. option. Iowa. What'd you say? Brian Bulaga, Iowa. It's, okay, it's true. Uh, the right guard. Do you not know this? No, what is this? Oh my goodness! Okay, there's a supercut on YouTube of Brian Bula of all of his intros for 
uh, NBC. Okay. Uh, Sunday yeah. Night Football. I figured that's where you were going. He just because obviously his his the, the vowel sounds of his name already sound like Iowa's got three syllables. Willaga's got three syllables. They're kind of similar, and he just says it very gutturally. And so it's just a super cut of him going Brian Willaga, Iowa. Brian Bulaga, Iowa. Brian Bulaga, Iowa. Brian Bulaga, Iowa. Brian Bulaga, Iowa. It's just it's like two minutes, and it's so funny. Okay, now I have to now I have to actually look this up when this podcast is over. So they have uh, Brian Bulaga, Iowa, at right Iowa. tackle. They've got uh, Matt Filer now at right guard. They have Corey Lindsley at center, and now they've got Rayshon Slater at left tackle. I, I mean, they have a lot of really good options then to fill their interior yeah. offensive line as well as give them depth on uh, on their tackles too. And so, man, I love what the Chargers were able to do. They, similarly to the Kansas City Chiefs, looked at their offensive line and said, we want to be different. We want to get better. And I think that they did in, in every single way, in every way possible. You know, talk about giving up a lot of money in free agency to this position or this area, and then devoting their top overall draft selection to offensive line. So I think that they did a great job there. Rayshon Slater, he's got so much versatility and I think consistency for him. They're going to be very happy with this, and offensive line is their most approved position for me as well. Yeah, I. Uh, are you ready? Okay, here we go. Here's, here's where, okay, here we go. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. You're right. You've heard before from others in different years and different times that the Chargers' offensive line was fixed. They were all charlatans. They lied to you. It was deception. It was fake. Today, what's today? The 15th or something? May 17th, Monday. Benjamin Solak, Locks on NFL Draft Podcast. Yes. It is time today the Chargers actually fixed the offensive line. It happened. <laughs> it's done. This is it. This is real. It's not a drill. DEFCON 4, people. Live bullets. Slater. Lindsley. Filer. Bulaga back. Obviously, don't know how much faith went on Bulaga. Ode Abouche actually had a pretty good year last year for Detroit. I did not realize that, so I, I like that signing more now than I did then. Brandon Himes in the uh, in the fifth round, good guard tackle swing player. We did it. <laughs> the Eagles landed, baby. Charge offensive line is fixed now. Will the Chargers be good? Absolutely not. They're still cursed. Something else will happen. I don't. I can't. You can't have faith in the Chargers. It's illegal. But I believe this year the Chargers will actually have a good offensive line. I they did it, guys. We did it. I'm so happy. It's fixed, and there's no way it'll be bad again. It's impossible. Spe- it's done. Speaking of uh, speaking of the Eagles has landed, do you have Twitter up, or have you checked your phone? Don't do it if you haven't yet. Don't do it. Don't do it. No, I haven't. Okay. There is a future Hall of Famer that just signed with the Philadelphia Eagles. I we, feel like this is a trap. We st- we stand this this player unconditionally. Ryan Kerrigan. Ryan Kerrigan just signed with the Eagles. <laughs> That's a great. Oh, it's great. That's really, really good. Yeah, buddy. What's the contract? Uh, I do not know. I it, Schefter and, oh. and Rap just tweeted it. I don't see the contract. Oh, I'm gonna be happy for a while now. Oh, is, <laughs> oh what a great time to be alive. I Dude, just, I when he posted the goodbye Washington thing the other day, I nearly just. I I, I was so close to just dropping real quick. By the way, for anybody who doesn't know, Ryan Kerrigan, future Hall of Famer. But I was like, no, no, hold it. Wait till he signs with his new team. Guess what, Trev? It's the Eagles. 
Birds. Now you can now you can now you can launch it off. All right, real quick before we get out of here, uh, biggest draft regret for the Los Angeles Chargers. Ooh, uh, so I kind of like have it as Josh Palmer a little bit, uh, in the sense that like I'm fine with Palmer and I'm fine with going wide receiver at that stage, and I get it, but also that was too early for Palmer individually, and I'm worried that you're going to look at a wide receiver room that needs a, a third player. And then also ideally needs a second player to be able to push for Mike Williams role in the event that they can't resign Mike Williams. And you're going to look and you're going to be like, ah, oh, we don't like any of these guys for this. So you're going to bring Mike will back. And I don't know how much you can trust him health wise. I don't know what the money's going to look like. I, I really want to be able to take one of Palmer, Jalen Guyton, Joe Reed, KJ Hill, like any of these guys and say, emphatically like the chargers have their young exciting next man up at wide receiver and i don't think they had that guy coming into the draft mm -hmm. and in round three you had a chance to get that dude like this could have been diami brown right josh palmer and i just i, I get why people were excited about palmer right. but that's too much for me yeah i have i mean really all of their picks in the third round and the fourth round and it's it's three selections it's palmer mckitty and rumpf i, I think the valuation on these players was really rich uh, if they love them and they pan out i understand because each one of these guys i, th I think has some hives to them you know the, the they have people who go man look at what the potential could be of these players but i thought all of them got drafted a lot higher than they were going to get drafted palmer makes the most sense in the third round but the other two guys, Trey McKitty and Chris Rump, I, I thought were easily... Huh? McKitty. Was it you who asked me if the Chargers improved to tight end recently? No, I did not. Uh, I they, lost, they lost Hunter Henry, so that's, that would be silly to think that. Right, I was on a pop with Brandon Lee Gowan, my boss at BGN, and I was like, where do you want to see Zach Ertz go? And he was like, I've been saying the Chargers. Like, did they improve at tight end? I was like, no, no, they didn't. And then I looked at them, and I was like, oh, wait, they took a third-round pick at tight end. It's just Trey McKitty. Right. So, and like yeah, McKitty is fine as a depth player, but you should have been picking this guy on day three. So I, I I don't know exactly what the draft regret would be here, but I feel like the valuation on Palmer McKitty and Rumpf might be something they look back on and they just go, yeah, these players were what we thought they would be, but it's just we didn't we didn't value them correctly. Because I still think they could have a role. They could be like somewhat of impact players, not starters, but Again, you know, you're sitting here in the mid rounds, you should third and fourth round. You're hoping to get like potential starters or at least some big time contributing players. I don't know what they got those there. Maybe Josh Palmer, like you said. He I I had the most faith in him, but the other guys, I'm not so sure. All right, that's it for the AFC West podcast. We have the NFC North coming up tomorrow. And until then, you guys keep it locked right here. Wow, quick transition. On Ryan Kerrigan, future Hall of Famer, now for the Philadelphia Eagles, Locked on NFL Draft Podcast.